Hello again. In this podcast, I wanted to talk about zebras because they are one of those iconic species that if someone mentions Africa to you, they're probably one of the first animals you'll think about. Or if you're planning to go to Africa, it's one of those animals that you'll expect to see. And one of the things that really surprised me, this is a few years ago now, but it was when I discovered that zebras are actually endangered. So there's certainly a good chance that some species at least will be gone within a few decades, which is um, obviously, like I think, a very sad thing. So I wanted to talk about them and just really give you some facts and background to uh, these animals so that you, you understand perhaps a little bit more about them. So first of all, there are three species of zebra and there are subspecies of some of these at least. And so the names that I mentioned may not be names that you know. So if you know other names like Birchall's, for example, that's a subspecies of uh, the plain zebra. So let's start with the plain zebra. And in fact, with these species, it's fairly easy to differentiate one from another. So with the plain zebra, that's probably the zebra that you're most likely to think about when you think of a zebra. So they are the most common zebra. And the way to spot them is that they have very broad stripes all over their body. And they may also, you might also see these brown stripes, they're ghost stripes between the black stripes. Um, so that that is a plain zebra. Now, you'll tend to find them in grassland and woodland, and they are in southern and eastern Africa. So that's where you'll find zebra. In terms of population, uh, they are declining. So it's estimated, at least the latest information I could find. So you might find something that's more up to date if you go and have a look. But there's in the region of 150,000 to 250,000 adults in the wild. So normally, when certainly when you're looking at, at um, conservation and um, whether an animal is threatened or not, the count tends to be mature adults rather than young. And um, I'm going to talk more about the young a bit later. So the plain zebra is the one that you're most likely to think about when you think of a zebra. Now, the second species is the grevy zebra. Might have pronounced that wrong. Grevy was a French explorer, I think, um, or um, possibly a French prime minister, actually, thinking about it, or president. So uh, that's where the name comes from anyway. So there'll be a French um, accent to that name. Now, these zebra are easy to spot because they, they have stripes, but the black and white stripes are much thinner and they are consistent all the way across their body. Um, so both at the, the front and the back of the animal. So that's the, the Grevy zebra. Now, these are endangered. Um, I don't have um, a number for them uh, at the moment, but they are listed as endangered. And they are found in um, dry areas, so semi-desert in Kenya, also in Ethiopia. That's where you're likely to find the Grevy zebra. And then the final animal is the mountain uh, zebra. And you can sp differentiate them because they have thin stripes at the front of their body, so on the front quarters and their head, but they have broader stripes on the hind quarters, so to the back of the animal. 
and they are listed as vulnerable. Uh, they mountain gorillas. They're found in hilly areas and mountain areas in Namibia, Angola, and South Africa. And again, for the numbers that I found for them, there's estimated to be less than thirty-five thousand animals. So that's not a lot of animals. And if you start thinking about what's a healthy number to have to maintain a gene pool, and this is over their range, this is total. So you're going to find subgroups that are, that are much smaller groups of animals, and they would tend to be the the breeding populations. So this is where you start to get into or have that danger of inbreeding, and then you get all sorts of problems relating from that. Okay, so just picking a few, um, I guess, um, aspects of these animals at random, they tend to live for about 25 years. The gestation period is typically 12 to 13 months, so it's quite a long gestation period. Uh, Young animals can run within an hour of being born, so obviously that contributes to them surviving as young animals but nonetheless it's estimated that something in the region of 50% of young animals and foals are killed by predators so that that is quite a a heavy loss of young animals so um and couple that with a long gestation period and also zebra rarely have more than one animal at birth so one foal so twins are extremely rare So this does contribute to them having a fairly slow recovery if they start losing numbers due to other factors and and the current factors in addition to just natural predation are um, things like loss of habitat and um, climate, which can be contributed to by climate change, human activity, all that, that sort of stuff. I guess the usual suspects unfortunately these days which tends to be us to a large degree so that's kind of the state of the population and the fact is that many of the zebra populations now are there because they're in protected areas and that's to protect them from uh, poaching that sort of thing illegal trafficking of um, of the animals more likely the animal skin and other parts Um, so that, that this is this is all contributing to them being um, as vulnerable to extinction as they currently are. Um, so um, that's obviously very very disappointing, but it is unfortunately the the state of things. Now they can live for up to about twenty five years. Might I mention that top speed? They can actually run pretty fast, up to sixty five kilometers an hour. And so they're closely related to horses. So that does give them that that advantage with speed but they are not very tame so you there are very you can't tame zebras they are naturally wild they can be quite aggressive and uh, not only fighting each other but they do often herd with other animals such as wildebeest and i was watching a video uh, a few days ago of um a wildebeest calf quite a young animal actually being attacked by zebra and the the uh, mother and another wildebeest getting between the this young wildebeest and the uh, the zebra, so they can be quite aggressive, and um, that does help them when they're attacked by predators because they'll tend to group together and protect each other, and they do have quite sharp incisors at the the front of their their mouth. So the the predators that they uh, most commonly 
will be attacked by a lion. So lions will attack adult animals. Um, the, there's also leopards, hyena, cheetah uh, will attack them. But they, obviously from the number of young animals that get lost, that it's mostly the young that are um, taken by predators. And that's because obviously predators will go for the uh, the easy option because from a predator's perspective, if they are injured when they hunt, uh, that can impact their ability to hunt. And if they're in a species that is very solitary or if it's a solitary predator, that, that basically, basically can result in them being unable to hunt and then dying. And the other predator they have is the Nile crocodile. They're more opportunistic. That tends to happen when the um, zebra are migrating and they will cover um, quite a large animal area rather. Uh, there, there was... Um, the longest known migration, I guess, of zebra is about 150, um, I think it's 150k actually, 150 um, kilometres from, that was from Namibia into Botswana. And um, I assume these were tagged animals or they were able to um, just monitor individual um, animals. Yeah, that was Namibia to Botswana. So... And they also travel with wildebeest and other grazing animals on the migration. So you may be aware of the great wildebeest migration that happens, huge number of animals. that, And I believe that's clockwise direction from Tanzania through to um, Kenya. So that's the Serengeti through to the Masai Mara um, uh, parks. And... Um, Obviously, on that migration, they're crossing rivers. And where there's a lot of animals crossing, you'll get these um, groups of Nile crocodile uh, will be there and basically take anything that's going through the water that they can. And if one gets a grip on an animal, normally the others will then move in. And that, that animal basically doesn't last very long, unfortunately. I'm going to talk about the uh, stripes. I've already mentioned them in terms of differentiating the the main species of zebra the three main species and they do have distinctive uh patterns of um stripes now the thing about zebra is their skin is actually black so it's white stripes on a black animal basically uh the first thing is what's the purpose of the stripes well we're not 100% sure but there are really four different functions they appear to serve so the, the most obvious one is camouflage if you're in long grass anything that breaks up your shape even this sort of dazzle camouflage that, that's been used by the military in the past uh, is, a, is a, a good way of making you less visible to a predator bearing in mind that um, not all animals have color vision so they're looking more if you go certainly to black and white you're then looking at shapes and textures and something like a dazzle to our colour vision, which might make them look quite, in some ways quite obvious, does is actually very effective for a predator that doesn't see so well in colour. So camouflage is definitely uh, thought to be one reason they've evolved these stripes. Another interesting one is that it does appear to reduce the number of biting insects that they have to deal with. And there was a comparison made between a zebra and a horse, and it was observed that the horse suffered a lot more from biting animals than the zebra does. So um, while that's not fully understood, it does appear to be an advantage that they have with having the stripes. 
Another contribution that stripes may make is to the animal's uh, body heat, regulating their body heat. So and I think this was an American study. It was noted that the white stripes were 18 degrees cooler than the black. So I'm assuming that's Fahrenheit. Seems a bit big for a centigrade gap, but um, just another observation. And then the final one is it's potentially social because each stripe pattern on an individual animal is like our fingerprint. So each one is unique and presumably that would contribute to zebra being able to um, differentiate one animal from another. I mean, I guess it would be easier for them. They, they would do it in other, in other ways that perhaps are less obvious to us, but um, that is another contribution of the uh, the stripes. Now, in terms of um, the the groupings, zebra have they they have generally small groups that which is known as a harem, which tends to be up to six animals with a single male that will be a ma- so that male will mate with the the females, and there may also be young, so it'd be a family group. That that kind of group is thought of as a family group. Uh, the small group is also known as a dazzle. Um, in, in some quarters they will congregate into herds and those herds can will sometimes combine into super herds and this is the the sort of super herds that will combine with antelope and, and wildebeest in these big migrations so there you're talking about thousands of animals now um the zebras become mature or sexually mature it, it, between one to five years i think that's the females and then up to five years for a male and in common with other animals so things like elephants so other mammal groups once a male reaches sexual maturity it will leave the family group and um, often join up and form a bachelor herd so things like um, impala also do this the bachelor herds or the bachelor groups tend to number up to about 15 animals and they'll stick together until they are mature enough to start competing for females, maybe in these in, in these smaller hiring groups, just challenge the dominant male. So that's generally how they live. And um, the purpose of the herd, though, is to protect them so that if they are attacked by a predator, they will tend to group together and defend one another and um, attack predators. So with those teeth... They'll, they'll bite them, they'll also kick them. So zebra are not an easy uh, um, target for predators because they do stand their ground, they do fight back. So that makes them um, quite hazardous for um, uh, other animals. In terms of the noises they make, um, so you, you can, I was going to look at just seeing if I could use a recording, but I'm always never sure of the copyright rules, so decided not to. But um, you can Google different uh, zebra noises, and they've been described as um, sounding like a yap, yappy dog, a squealing pig, a snorting horse, a brain donkey, or even growling cat. So they have a variety of different noises, some of which are d- definitely uh, warning noises. So... I've spoken before about how you find predators and one of the ways is to listen for a prey animal making an alarm noise. So if you know what those noises are, they tend to be very distinctive. 
then you know that that animal has detected a predator somewhere nearby. So the predators, obviously, by their nature, will tend to be very quiet and um, will try and get close to their prey without being seen and without being detected. So that also makes them difficult for you to spot if you're going to try and photograph them or just see them. But the prey animals, obviously, it's, it's in their very best interest to be able to detect animals uh, predators either by smell or by if if they're uh, downwind of the predator, which usually they're not. Predators will tend to be um, uh, downwind of the uh, of the herd, so that the wind is blowing their scent away from their, their prey. The prey they're going for. Um, however, if if a prey animal uh, does hear them, those um, alarm calls are very useful. So um, others seem to be just more sort of social noises. Some of them will be threats because they do fight a bit. Um, it might be around sexual awareness, you know, and sexual availability. So there's a whole kind of um, vocabulary of sound that they use to communicate with each other. There's also nonverbal. There are also facial expressions. So the ears, for example, um, will tend to come forward uh, when they're, they're um, threatened. They might be upright to greet there's also the way they uh, widen their eyes. Um, in fact, on the facial expression, so there are several um, situations that have been observed. So they can reflect either a friendly or a curious intention, maybe when uh, two animals are meeting. Again, sexual receptivity is another one. Submission is definitely um, an expression. And then aggression is, is another one. They, they've also been observed doing lip clapping and yawning, and that's still not understood exactly what that means. I mean, I say exactly, we're always guessing a little bit, but by observing the expression and then what behaviours and the context of that expression, you can begin to uh, make some guesses, educated guesses about the purpose of those um, expressions. Um, now, uh Zebra tend to be active during the daylight. They'll congregate at night. They generally sleep on their side, but they are capable of sleeping standing up because that will give them an advantage if a predator does attack during the night. So uh, zebra uh, lion tend to be active during the night. In terms of grazing, most of their diet is grass, but they will, uh, which is up to 50 different species of grass they'll eat. Uh, if, if things are hard and there's drought, they will eat other things as well. So shrubs and bark and that kind of thing. Um, their digestive system is interesting. So they have um, an area of their digestive system attached to the intestines, which does a lot of the digestion. Now, and here I'm a bit light on the detail, so I apologize for that. But basically, uh, zebras don't, they're not as effective at digesting grasses as other animals are. But they do eat a lot of grass. So basically, they tend to go for quantity over quality. They don't fully digest it all, but they do have a huge volume of uh, grass and vegetation that they they eat. So it does mean that they um, obviously it allows them to keep them alive. And also, anecdotally, something I heard, which I've not been able to verify, but zebra often look quite fat. And that's simply because they have a lot of gas in their gut as they're digesting. So often when you're digesting something that you're not digesting well, there'll tend to be a lot of gas there. So 
Zebras generally look quite round, but uh, some of that at least is uh, gas from their digestive uh, process. So that really covers, I think, most of what I wanted to talk about with zebra. Hopefully there's some things in there that you didn't know. Um, the only thing, other thing I was just looking at my notes here, so they will swim, although they're not natural swimmers, so they, they'll tend to do it when they have to, but they, uh, they're much happier in shallow water, obviously river crossings, things like that. They have to be able to swim to do that. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. So there are some zebra photographs in the collections if you're interested in looking at those or if you like um, zebra photographs. There is one which, um, if it's not, as I record this, is not currently available, but will be very shortly, which is a picture I took of a, a solitary zebra in the bush in Zimbabwe. And I like it because it's more of an unusual uh, photograph. It's more of a portrait. There are lots of portraits around, pictures of zebra around with them grazing, uh, because that's mostly what they're doing. Um, but they're, again, very interesting animals. So as I say, I hope you found that interesting. and. Um, I'll be talking about other animals over the next few weeks. So uh, that's it for this podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind the scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcasts and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.